So this is our inaugural UN50 podcast. Uh, thank you for those that are joining us. And so I'm just going to go briefly through who, what UN50 is about, who I am. And mainly, um, I'm a retired deputy police chief with the city of Durham, and I created this business called UN50. And it was born out of what I felt what was a necessity for someone African-American could understand what what law enforcement is about and also educating black and brown folks about their rights. And so what this is, is an extension of that. We do presentations out in the community. Uh, we have contract with the city of Durham to do with the police department to come out and do presentations. Uh, so we wanted to try to do this on a podcast, especially with the moment that we're in uh, with everything going on across the country right now. This is, this is, this is kind of, it's, it's depressing. It's sad. Um, but also we want to help, at this moment to figure out how we can help people move toward police reform in the manner that they think they need to move. Uh, we're, we're always open to hear different voices. Uh, I want to introduce you to two of my co-hosts uh, who have, uh, who are here with me and going to be here throughout uh, however long we, we are, we're doing this to help guide you the community toward making your local uh, police department and community the way you want it and help kind of help you figure that out. Um, so, First of all, I'm going to let um, the primary the primary goal of UN50 is getting home safely. Uh, we've we've been doing this or not doing it, but the thing that's always been new. People say you know black bodies have always been shot. The only thing that's new is the iPhone. We get videotapes, you know Eric Gardner and all this kind of stuff. So we recognize that. I recognize that, and so because of that, I wanted to do this in order to what I found out was. My community did not understand what their basic rights were, that you have a right to say no to the popo. You can say no, don't search. And then to um, just learn how to file complaints and hold your agency accountable. My mantra is comply, then complain. And I know everybody's probably going, well, George Floyd complied. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. And now the whole world is complaining about it. Um, so I'm going to stick with that mantra simply because if you don't comply, you will always lose. You will always lose with the guy standing there, the woman standing there with the gun. Uh, and so what we're going to do is just give you some information. And you make those decisions. So the ultimate goal for me when I did this and we're doing this is I need folks to get home. I need you to get to the house and then maybe file complaints and do that. So what we're going to do in this inaugural thing is we're going to, we're going to kind of talk about policing where it kind of originated from. But the first thing I want to do is introduce you to my co-hosts and they're going to explain a little bit about who they are, why they're here and why I tolerate them being in the same space with me. And uh, we'll go on for that. So the first person I want to introduce is Harmony Chavis, who is, I consider her like a little mini me. And uh, we've uh, met years ago because I met her actually at a policing community event. She got up and she talked about, I mean, black Black male bodies were dying, but she was like, what, what about the women? You know, what about the trans? What about the gay? I mean, she was worried about everybody and wanted to help change that conversation. And I, I approached it, never seen it before in my life. And um, the universe uh, kept us together. So Harmony, you want to kind of take it from here? Yeah, BJ, can you believe that was six years ago? That was in the summer of 2014 when I met you. What? Um, yeah, it was six years ago, believe it or not, which sounds crazy to me even because that's been such a long time and such a, a short period of time. Um, and one thing that I, I love about you and I love the way that you explain you and 5 is the same today as it was six years ago. 
And I remember when we came up with that mantra of comply, then complain, it was me, you, Crystal, Steve, Jackie, and Ron. That's who it was. And I remember that was a really tough day for all of us, really kind of going through that language and deciding, you know, what, what it was that we were going to stick with with you in 5.0. So I love that, you know, as things have changed, as things have progressed, you've always been uh, black first. Um, and I, I think that that is so evident for your work. Um, and to just introduce myself to everybody, my name is Harmony Chavis. I am a proud graduate of the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, um, where I majored in social work. Um, since then, I've been doing um, a multitude of different things, mostly traveling, um, but a lot of my work has been with uh, startup nonprofits. So I've done work with people experiencing homelessness, survivors of domestic abuse, um, people experiencing homelessness, and newly arrived immigrants and refugees. So I think that I'm most passionate about the quote-unquote least of these. Um, and my goal in this is specifically to, to not just bring a voice to, to Black people, but to Black women specifically we see the difference in the type of media attention that black males get versus black women. So even when we're talking about oppression, there's a certain type of privilege um, that is still there. Um, And I think that we really need to highlight not only the strength of the black woman in this movement, but also the pain of the black woman in in this movement and in life in general, uh, moving through life that is often not really paid homage to. so yeah, I'm, I'm here for black women. I'm here for, for everybody black, as Issa Rae says, I'm rooting for everybody black, but specifically uh, my black women and my gender non-conforming folks. Yeah, I appreciate that. But what she did not say is, uh, I call her my mini me, because I, I, I feel like sometimes maybe if I had been born around this time, she's radical. Uh, she pushes back on me a lot and, and it keeps it real for me to make sure I'm a boomer and these two are millennials. So to make sure that I, I am aware and in tune as to what the real deal is going on out in the world. And um, because I come from a different space and I also come from a different space as a boomer, as an old police officer and all that kind of stuff. So she's a radical. And uh, so I appreciate her energy and keeping making sure I just see it through all lenses, as many lenses as I can see it through to make sure we do what we do. So, yes. So Andrew Council, like I said, like, you know, you can't have a business unless you got some nepotism in it. So here, here he is, <laughs> Andrew Council. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm Andrew Council. I am the nephew of the famous VJ Council. I'm the founder of UN50. I'm, I'm a rising senior at UNC Greensboro. I'm currently studying media studies and journalism while I'm trying to survive as a black male in today's cruel society. Um, I've experienced, like, um, and been a witness to racism, colorism, and prejudice as well. But I'm I'm trying to be a big advocate for mental health and the conversation around that topic in the Black community specifically. So um, I, my goal of being a participant in this podcast is just speaking my truth and to be a, a voice for younger individuals like myself. I am a, a member of the Gen, Gen, Generation Z, I guess you could say. Um, so just trying to be a voice for those um, who are living in the same future or living in the present that are trying to build the future we're trying to create. Um, so that's basically all. That's right, Gen X, right? Are you Gen X? Gen Z. Gen Z, Gen Z. Yeah, don't put him on us. We are a whole different bracket. <laughs> it's very different. It's very different. Because, Andrew, do you remember, like, ever growing up without a phone? Like, how old were you when you got a cell phone? I, actually, my aunt, got BJ got me my first phone. And I was, like, uh-huh. maybe seven or eight. It was a flip phone. See? <laughs> See? <laughs> That's the difference right there. I think flip phones were just like starting to become a real thing when I was like 10 or 11. So, I mean, even three mm-hmm. years, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but think of like a seven year old and a 10 year old, you know what I mean? Like you had a phone right, at seven. Right. That's crazy. 
Yeah. But yeah, yeah, BJ, don't don't put that on us. We're we're different. We're very no, different. Okay, okay. So the the millennial in the room is our producer. That's what I got because he was all, I, I met him when I was in college at Central, and he said and I babysat him. His mother worked at Central, so that's what. So I have millennial is our producer, Chris Downey, and then you're the Gen X Harmony. What? No, I think I'm technically still considered a millennial, but I'll, millennial. I'll take being grouped together with Chris. I'll take that. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. All you right. hear that, Chris, right? I hope that you hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, Andrew, you're Z, right? Z, Generation Z, yes. Generation Z, okay. All right, so we got, got all that. So that's kind of who we are, and we're going to spend, you know, like I said, a little bit of time just kind of talking about um, – we want, I don't want to go too far into what's happening now, but I kind of just to hit on it before we get into the, to the topic of the day, just how, how are you guys, I know how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm, my body's tired with what's happening with Mr. George Floyd, you know, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. You know, it was just even before Mr. Floyd, it was like, why does this keep happening? You know, so I was just in this space of my body was, was tired. I was weeping and just exhausted from what is going on and then Mr. Floyd happens and then it happened in such a you know just barbaric and and I'm not you know what I also realize that as I try to move forward in in this moment is yes he's a police officer he's wearing a uniform and and our language or what I want to try to just kind of focus on is yes that's his job that's my job to be a police officer I'm supposed to do you know, serve the people and all, but this guy, for him being a police officer was low on a total. His humanity did not kick in. So, so for me, it's not good cop, bad cop. It's humans treating people like you would want to be treated. I mean, it has nothing to do with the, you know, while I understand that piece. So, so you may not agree with how we talk about it, at least how I may talk about it is that I, I want people to see beyond that. I'm hoping at some point we'll talk about it a little bit more that I might walk up to you in my uniform, but what I hope I can exude to you and pushing out towards you is that there's a human behind that uniform. And if I do that, then you will also recognize me as a human instead of just a person standing in a uniform. So just briefly, you know, I'd like Harmony and, and Andrew to kind of take, kind of talk about, you know, what's this moment done for me? Because I'm, I'm physically, mentally exhausted and just, I went to the doctor today and just started tearing up because she was asking me how she, how I was. And she said, it's trauma. It, you know, I mean, this I'm experiencing trauma. And then on top of that, I'm a black executive from that worked in law enforcement. So that, that's a whole different, that's another layer and another lens. I'm also viewing this from. So Andrew, how are you? What, I mean, what are you experiencing during this moment? Um, I guess like, like, we've mentioned before like i'm living through the generation of having to experience this or like look through this throughout my whole life and i've been able to see it since like the day i was born i guess and have my parents talk about it and stuff so i'm tired but then i talked to my friends my age and we said we're tired of being tired really because we're just having to see this thing over and over again we keep saying we're tired about it um and what i hope that doesn't happen with this generation is um and i've seen it in past during the past like eric garner and other others who have died in the same cause who would have done what has been happening is like a protest will happen or something else will happen and then after a few weeks will go the protests stop or like the people who have right. voices that will stop and then things will just start to happen again and I'm hopefully I'm hoping that something to me something about this one just feels different and I don't know if it's just because it's like a different age of the media or is being blown up um, a little bit more but I All hope right. that 
people and younger people specifically will speak up more and help and try to do things for a change so that this won't happen again or something else can change so that it won't happen in the future. Yeah. Yeah. To- totally in agreement with that. What do you think, Harm? I really thought it was super profound when Andrew said he's, he's tired of being tired. And I think that I had that same type of feeling. Um, so I first got into, I guess like, I'll, I'll give you guys a little background. So my dad who passed away in 2018 was this super, super radical guy born in 1946. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, blood inside my name or, or read the book, but his best friend, Dickie Merrow was killed for whistling out a white woman in Oxford, North Carolina in front of my grandma's house. Um, long story short, of course, you know, the guys were charged. Nobody was ever held accountable. So my dad started this really huge riot in Oxford where they went around burning down buildings. And so I'd heard all of these stories about him, but I guess I'd never really understood the implications of just how, how vast the experiences are when you have a certain amount of privilege. So I first started protesting back in 2014 after Michael Brown was killed and then Freddie right. Gray. And I remember before that point, I guess I hadn't seen my part in black liberation because from my perspective, I grew up in Durham and a predominantly black neighborhood, predominantly black schools. I wasn't exposed to the reality of police brutality. Um, and, and since that time, I would definitely say that I've been burnt out. I've been exhausted. I'm tired of having these same conversations. Um, but what I always tell people, like even in my bios, is that I believe in radical kindness and love, and that definitely extends to myself. Um, so, you know, for me personally, I'm better than I was, but it's simply because I've had to be very intentional about extending grace to myself um, and love to myself in times where it was tough. So I'm currently um, in a boathouse right now. You guys can't see. I'm sitting on the water in Fort Lauderdale. I spent all day, you know, kind of just basking in the sun and in the ocean. And there was this moment where I felt exceptionally, like, just human and almost empowered. I never in my life, except for, like, on an island, of course, seen this <laughs> many black folks on the beach, y'all. And I remember growing up, I used to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My mom is white, so my stepdad is white. I'd be up there with a bunch of white folks, and I'd be looking around for people that looked like me, and it was almost like looking for a unicorn. You know what I mean? Like, I never saw black folks. So to me, like, seeing these black people out today, they're having fun. It was black dads, really. It was tons of black dads that were playing with their children. For me, it, it, for me, it was a moment of, like, you know what? Like, our people are resilient. And we're hurting right now, but we're not going to let that stop us from the joy that exists right now in this moment. So I'm right. thankful that, you know, at this point, in this very specific moment in time, right. I'm, I'm not bogged down by the heaviness of it because I've just seen so much joy today. All right, cool. So um, so we, we were, what we're going to start today, basically, we're going to start just kind of talking a little bit about where policing started as it relates to, to black folks. And it, and it rests in slavery. So uh, shout out to uh, Dr. Charles Johnson at NCCU. He's assistant professor for the director of public history program. He sent us some information and I'm hoping the two college students at least peruse some of the information. <laughs> uh, and we're, we're going to like talk a little bit about uh, slavery and, and policing, you know, how, how that kind of goes to there. But I was listening to a, a conversation about uh, law enforcement, obviously everything that's going on. And this guy made a, a statement and it was very profound as far as I was concerned. He said, Pol- basic policing, policing, policing's basic operational systems 
have not changed from how it was designed to operate, which was to protect slavery and Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you heard that, basically saying that the system was built to protect slavery and Jim Crow, and it has not changed in all those years to this day. Uh, so basically from 1619 to eight minutes and 46 seconds is where we are today. And so the, the other piece of that is I talked to, I talked to my mom and I told her, you know, I told her what we were doing today. And I said, we're going to do a podcast. And she said, well, I've heard the name. She's 90. She's a retired, retired <laughs> teacher. And she said, so she said, I've heard, I've heard podcasts, but I don't really know what that is. And I said, well, remember when you guys used to sit around the radio and listen? I said, it's kind of like that, but just a little tad fancier than that. And so she kind of got it. So I, said, so I asked her, I told her what we were talking about. We we're going to try to look at a little bit about slavery, policing, and, and how that has evolved in, to where we are today. And she said, well, we used to talk about that in school. And she said that they were, as a teacher, she would, they would talk to the students about it. And, and even she it was pretty interesting how she said, telling the black students how they were black folks and put in a boat, in the bottom of the boat, let up every now and then to get some air. And then I, I found it interesting how she said this. She said, of those, and some of those people were even braver than some of the other ones and jumped off the boat. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was interesting how she put that, that those, that those individuals who made the decision to not come to this country chose to jump into the water and kill themselves. And she put that as that they were braver than some by making that particular decision. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then, you know, she said, I don't have a lot of memory about it because I was kind of drilling, trying to, trying to drill in. But basically what happened before integration, obviously segregation, and they were teaching black students about, as much, I guess, probably as much on books and oral history in the black community as to slavery. And as soon as they integrated, this history got sanitized. Mm -hmm. And so for her, she, you know, she knows that because she was teaching back then before integration. So she saw that when we integrated that the history, it talked about slaves but I don't know whether you guys understand this reference, but it didn't give them the Paul Harvey side of the story, the rest of the story. And so for a lot of people today, to include some black folks, I mean, we're, I mean, we know what happened, but now a lot of folks are going, oh, I ain't know. I ain't know. And everybody's running out trying to get history books now, <laughs> you know, so, and, and, and starting to do this. So what we're going to do is just a little bit of talking about slavery policing back during the slavery what we were looking at based on this reading is they used the patrols they paid some they, they were on the low end of the some of the folks that were being paid to patrol and go back and, and get slaves to not do anything they didn't want them out they didn't want them doing it and then they even empowered citizens to do the very same thing not and we weren't even at the clan stage we were just at if you're white uh, if you see somebody let's handle it and so you guys, you know, kind of let me know, let's, let's kind of talk about, you know, what are you taking from the, the readings of, of the stuff that, that we got from Dr. Johnson? So BJ, you know, I'm a little bit more radical than you are and, um, or a little bit, I'm, I'm a little bit more unfiltered a little bit. Um, but to me, it sounds like how a lot of white people feel that have never had to have their, their privilege checked. You are judge and jury. 
And that's the issue with, I think, policing right now. Because one thing that I've heard is like, oh, he didn't do anything. Here's the thing. You don't have to do anything. Police are not judge and jury, right? Like, they're not here to sentence you. They're not here to determine whether or not you're guilty. And they sure as hell are not here to determine whether or not you, you live or die, right? right? And so I think that, for me, what, what it illustrates to me is just this overzealous sense of privilege that has continuously been unchecked and has also been continuously rewarded. We've seen people like George Zimmerman that have gotten off. We've seen people like... Um, what was his name? Eric Garner, the I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Brown, like we've seen these officers time and time and time again, get away with the exact same thing because somebody didn't comply. And so I think right now it's, we're, we're in a unique time where we're moving beyond the, the understanding of complying and non-compliance as a reason to, to kill somebody. Right. Um, and to me, that's, that's the scary part is that people feel so entitled to decide who lives, who dies, who's worthy, who's unworthy. Right. And it's also really difficult to, to get people out of that mindset of being able to attribute worth. And, and it started back in the seven, 16 and 1700s. I mean, that, that's just how that, that has happened because it was, that was the way of the world and it really has never, never changed. And, so it just continues. And then when, when people, you know, they're being asked, our leaders to say, you know, is racism a part of it when it's rooted to do specifically is that is to take care of black folks, making sure they don't, you know, they don't. The, the fear that I was reading in this paperwork was uh, one of the primary fears was them rising up. I mean, I can't the, the, I forget the term they use because I can't, you know, because I, you know, I can't read really. Uh, but I, and I, I can't pronounce big words. So basically it was that they wanted to make sure that the slaves did not rise up. I mean, that was a, that was a constant fear based on this. Cause if they did, I mean, I guess they would be, they were, they, there was something to happen. So Drew, what do you think as far as reading this paper and, you know, that the fact this that policing was, is, is uh, embedded, that's, you know, start, that's what it started from, especially when it comes to black bodies that, that it, that, you know, they're second class, you can't do anything. we got to make sure blah, blah, blah. So what, you know, what's your opinion on that? As I was reading, I kind of, it amazed me because I, I knew about this, but no one had ever, ever taught it to me. So mm-hmm. to have it, have an actual piece of, of work to him reading, reading this and having the history taught to me, um, kind of enlightened me. And, and then I was kind of angered by it as a little bit because I was saying, why wasn't I taught this before now? Or why did they have to take this for me to understand this now? And it kind of had me question, of course, the education system as well. But, you know, we're not where we used to be. You know, we don't have a plan, at least not all the time, at least not at the frequency that they were before, lynching folks and burning folks' houses to the ground. And I wonder how much of that was done, you know, on the part of black parents almost to insulate their children. You know what I mean? Because we, we are mm-hmm. a quote-unquote post-racial society, and it's, it's a hard reality. You know what I mean? Yes. To, to teach your kids really the, the depth and the length really of just how far this goes and like drew was saying like if he was told that at five like imagine how much different his perspective would have been or imagine you know these conversations that we have with our with our black children to explain to them what to do versus what not to do when interacting with police you know if they had that history in addition to just that natural inclination right because he said another profound thing that you kind of knew but no one ever taught you that you know what i mean 
So it's like, how do we all know that this was a thing, but then to not be able to really give it language, it almost indicates to me that there was almost some insulation as a means of, of protection. You know what? I, I'm glad you said that because my mother, when I was talking to her, she actually, the way, she actually said, if I remember correctly, that as they were telling them that, she also was, they were kind of, and I say they, not only teacher, but it seems like what you just said, Harmony, were explaining to the children why they, being the adults, acted the way that they did. You know, almost saying, you know, you, you in a kind of, I, sh- I should have asked her, but I'm kind of wondering, like you just said, it's, you know, you may see us act this way around police officers, or you may see us act a certain way. And this is the reason we act like that, because we could get hung, we could, the houses get burned down, and they not understand, well, why, why did you keep your head down? Why, you know, why did we have to cross the street? You know, so those are the things that, that before they were segregated and, the, you know, before they, you know, while they were segregated, explaining young black bodies why they had to do what they, what, what they do. Um, so that was the main thing. So it, it's almost like it, it's, they were doing what we're doing now, having the talk. The talk probably started, <laughs> you know, way back when, even for slaves, like, okay, keep your eyes down. Don't look at a white woman, you know, don't do this. And you know, mom and teaching. That's just interesting you say that, that they had their own talk. Yeah. They had their own talk. The, they, they had their own the talk back oh, then. Yeah. And we continue to have the talk, right? And it's, it's changing because now, you know, a 10-year-old, when they're on the computer for school, they can go to Google and they can see George Floyd being murdered on right. camera. I mean, it's a completely different scenario. Mm-hmm than what we were presented with. I mean, gosh, even 10 years ago, you know what I mean? Or 20 years ago, it's so vastly different than what it was, you know, before we had phones in our hands with good quality camera and good audio Mm -hmm. that we could then for free upload to the internet with relatively no consequences, you know? So it's, it's interesting to me how different that talk was even, you know, that your mom had with you or that, you know, Drew's parents had with him or my parents had with me, you know, that's, that's always changing. And I have godsons and they are ages four, six, and seven. Wow. And I know that their parents have had these conversations, but I've never really asked, how does it go? And what are, what are you saying to them? Right. My oldest, he's um, seven and he is incredibly intuitive and incredibly empathetic. And I remember um, I was in church and this was after the whole Freddie Gray thing happened. And we were talking about it. And I would like to say this, and I know that this is not political or whatever, but if you're going to a church that is not discussing the oppression of black bodies, you're in a, you're not in a church. I'm sorry. So we were talking about it and I was maybe 20. And that was the first time that I'd ever really cried about black people being killed by police because I looked over and I saw my nephew And knowing that soon we would start having these conversations with him. I mean, I didn't, I I still don't know how to navigate that because how do you, how do you teach a child that the system that they say is in place to protect you, that has this ultimate authority over you is also really dangerous. How do you do that without also, you know, inadvertently putting them in danger or affecting their perspective of police? And, you know, for me, that's, that's really tough. That's heavy. It's real heavy. Yeah, any comments, Drew? I was just thinking about how she said, like, the conversation. I'm trying to remember back when the first time I had a conversation with my parents about the police, and I can't – I can pinpoint one with that that I had with my dad, but then also my aunt 
was a police officer at the time. So I remember having a conversation with you um, multiple times too. And I just had a, a different perception than I do now of the police because my aunt was a police woman and I had other people who I knew they were police in, in the police force and I didn't have a negative connotation attached to it. So I guess like I would question, do you want to ruin the child's view of the police? Like you said, um, because like they're supposed to be protecting and serving you, but then you also want to make sure that they're prepared to live in this world and being an African-American child or being a child just in general um, in the world that we're living in today. So it's a, the lesser two evils really. It really is. It, it, and I never, we didn't have the talk in my house. I never. You, know, parents, you and me? Yeah, oh, you, no, uh, your my, house. No, my parents. Yeah. My, my parents never talked about I me. Mean, we, I, as far as we knew the sheriff, because he lived up the street and I went to high school with his son and that was it. But we, there was no, there was no discussion about police. Now there are some old stories in our family that my father's brother used to get chased by the popo because he was uh, running moonshine. You know, that was about as close <laughs> as we got. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so that, but we, we never had to talk, but then, you know, my mother's brother, though, he was always out there doing stuff. So we hear a little bit of that, but just for somebody to sit down for, with my brother, unless my dad did my brother on his own, I never had the talk. And then, you know, I'm also listening to obviously all these conversations that are going on, you know, obviously, you know, coming up to, to, to this moment and listening to these black officers, these black male officers who saying, I mean, they're, ta- you know, obviously talking with them because it's difficult to be black. I'm sure a black police officer in this moment and having to navigate right. that, you know, even those of us who are no longer in the system, it's, it, it's whatever. We'll get into that later. But what this black, these guys are saying is that, look, I'm actually telling my sons how to move around police officers and I'm a police officer. I mean, just think about that. He's having to tell his sons and they're saying, well, I don't like the police. But he's a, his daddy's a police officer, and he's having to tell his black son how to navigate a police officer, and yet his father is wearing the same uniform. That's, that's heavy. I mean, like you said, that's so heavy. <laughs> that's, but, you know, but then on the flip side of that is he also says, when I come out of his uniform, I'm a black man. You know, I, I know some stories of some of my friends who are currently police officers riding somewhere without a uniform and got stopped, and until they let them know they were police officer, they will, it was you know, not going real good, you know, and and they had to go slow your roll. Here's my badge. You know, a couple of them complained on them, but you know, it, unless you got a badge, it, it's just, like, yeah, what does so, really mean? I mean, the, that they were able to show them that they were law enforcement. I mean, they were, no, 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 I'm saying what you're saying, but I'm like, you know, if, if the only way to justify you treating me like a human being is with a badge, right. you know what I mean, like, yes, yes. what, is what that does that about? really mean about, about you? Exactly. You know? right. Exactly. Yeah. Why? Why should that be the only thing that backs you off of me? Right. <laughs> yeah. And like you yeah. said earlier, BJ, it's it's you know obviously when you wear the uniform and you carry the badge, allegedly you are held to a higher standard, and there's some type of forethought that's supposed to go into this. Um, but but the frightening thing for me is that these are aggressive folks that basically, you know, don't have a lot of other career options. And this is, I mean, it's a very easy type of job to get into for a lot of people, especially for like smaller police forces where they don't necessarily have, you know, people lining up to sign up to be a police. Um, And then there was another thing that I thought was really interesting. I'd done some research a couple years ago. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Joy DeGuri. She does a research called um, on a 
a theory called post-traumatic slave syndrome, Yes, which uh-huh. basically says that these behaviors that we think are, are cultural, like running from the police, are actually adaptive behaviors that um, span back until slavery. slavery. Yes, yes. You yes. know, and what's also interesting is that you were talking about trauma earlier, BJ, and the trauma of of just these times, you know, with the coronavirus, everybody being at home, all of these people police or you know incredibly racist white folks it's completely valid and understandable if somebody feels traumatized right and then when you think of the multi-generational trauma that has spanned you know the time of over 400 years it was slaves being beaten and then you're free there was no help right there were no resources they're just like all right you're free go ahead and by free they mean segregated (laughs) there was you know what i mean there was no time to really heal from that trauma and so it's like all of us are reliving it and reliving it and reliving it. And sure, you know, some of us, like myself, we may go to therapy or we may have medication intervention, but that's not the only thing. So we can put more black people in therapy, which will help, you know what I mean, with, with other issues outside of this generational trauma. But in order to really move beyond this, we've got to, the system's got to change. You know what I mean? Like we cannot expect to work in a system of current policing when the origin of it is toxic. That's almost like saying, okay, we, we grew a tree um, in some really toxic soil. And it grew, you know what I mean? And here's, here's a fruit, so go ahead and eat it. And it's fine, it's healthy, it's an apple. Like, apples are good for you. And then you're shocked when the person is sick and they're not able to function. The system's sick, and we can't, in my opinion, there's only so much reform that can be done in this incredibly broken, racist, privileged system. It just, it just doesn't work. And we've seen it time and time again, like Andrew was saying, like, this feels different. And I think it feels different because we're finally starting to address systems and not just individual police officers, because it's not just the police officer that killed George Floyd. It's not just the police officers that killed Breonna Taylor. It's not just the police officers that murdered Mike Brown. It's a system. It's a sick system that is evident in our political systems, our medical systems, our educational systems. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why it feels different for me because we're finally starting to address systems and not just individuals because individuals make up systems. Right. 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 Andrew, you got anything with that? I was trying to compose, like I was listening. I was eating, I being a sponge (laughs) to everything she was saying too hard. And I I lost my thought. SpongeBob. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I had to say that. Yeah, you're fine. (laughs) But I was um, just thinking about just the system thing. It's something that I was watching on Twitter. Twitter is like one of the main things that I use for um, just a lot of things for humor and also my news as well, other than my third party news apps and stuff. But there was a female um, up there discussing the social contract between police and, and, the citizens just in general yes um, and uh, then, yeah i saw her that, yeah. the monopoly so she, one she was just, yes that one that yes exactly yes one. yes so you know that that, that kind of helps me for so i'll be when we do these episodes i'll be able to hopefully you don't have to like my explanation because i i, I have a, a insight you know my perspective because i am law enforcement i can kind of see why they might have done something it doesn't mean i'm going to be in always in agreement but i just need people to understand as long as I've been doing UN50 since uh, 2015, one of the things that comes out during these meetings, once the noise dies, once the protest dies, once some of the emotions get out of the room, more often than not, the comment is, I never thought of it that way. Because people are now in a place where they can hear, we can hear each other and have this conversation. And again, 
um, when I do these presentations, I, I'm right up front. Harmony's been in there. Uh, Andrew, you had not seen one in a long time, but I'm real clear. I ain't here for you to like the popo. This, this ain't that kind of conversation. This ain't about you going out and kumbaya and buying them donuts. This is about you figuring out how to navigate and get into the house. And once I, at least I feel like once I take that out of the room, then people are going, well, I don't like the police. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you not liking the police. I just need you to get to the house. And this is how you get to the house. But the TPJ, also, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, that's what I, I think that's why I can hear you, right? It's because I know that in your heart of hearts, if I'm anti-police, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I know that the, the reason in which you started UN50 was to help keep people safe. So like when you, when I heard that you said it was tactical, of course, I'm like, oh Lord, here we go. But because it's you, you know what I mean? And I know your intention and I know, you know, why you do this work. I'm actually able to hear you. And I think that that's what's so impactful about this podcast is because your, your heart is just in a completely different place. Um, and it's, it's easy to hear you is what I'm saying. It's easy Thank to you. hear you and to listen to you. So you, does that mean I got to buy you lunch next time I'll tell you? Cause you're telling me all these nights. Honestly, BJ, you should do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and, and just, and I do buy a uh, harmony lunch, she, uh, harmony lunch because that's how I pay her. She, she would rather me just constantly feed her. And so I take Absolutely. her. To <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah, so I think, I mean, anything else that we're, we're going to talk about? Um, we're probably going to try this, uh, um, when we, as we move forward, we're, we're going to try to do this uh, strategically as we have these conversations. Our next podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, civil rights. Is, is, the, is this Gen Z's and Gen X and millennials, is this, is this their civil rights in 2020? So we're going to kind of look at that a little bit and, and have some discussion around that. And then we're going to be bringing some guests in throughout this because we want to kind of talk to people from different perspectives. I, I've got some white officers that, you know, that, that get it, as people say, uh, that, you know, what is, you know, how are they feeling about right now? You know, get some perspective from, from them. Um, and um, we're going to bring in our first guest is going to be um, Steve Chalmers, who used to be the Durham Police Department, kind of talking about what that looked like for him, because he was one of the first ones to be on the police department. Uh, not beat, now, he wasn't the first one, but he's homegrown. And so he kind of comes at it from, a, and he also does a lot of community policing. We won't spend a lot of time with him doing that. But what I want to do is take this step by step. And what I hope in my heart with the three of us that we can help navigate folks to how to ask questions, how to get the agency, I mean, the police departments, a community that you want. And so we're going to bring in um, just different perspectives. Um, again, all we want people to do is just to hear and, um, and be able to talk about it and, and, and move on. So, um, so we, we, uh, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to uh, get ready to get out of here. And I, what I'd like for you to do is there harmony. I'll go last, but harmony, uh, maybe, you know, one or two minutes as to how you feel about the conversation, anything you want to say as we uh, close it out. Sure. So the first thing I do want to mention is, you know, when I heard you say the tactical thing, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Right. If you're in war, but we're not in war. These are protesters on a street peacefully protesting to say that black lives matter and that's it. Do you get what I'm saying? And so if we're not able to think outside of being tactical in one situation versus another, right? So like if you're in war, of course you would make sure if somebody pushed down the enemy, you're not helping the enemy up. You got to keep going, but this isn't the enemy. In fact, tax dollars fund the police. So really you work for me. Do you, I mean, I don't know if that's a little radical or a little, a little out there, but, but in all honesty, without tax dollars, without taxpayers like you and me, there is no funding for the police. 
uh, or I'm sure, or let me rephrase it. I'm sure that they would find it. They just wouldn't be able to get it out of our pockets. Let me put it <laughs> that way. So if police officers are not able to determine uh, different tactical responses for different scenarios, then we really need to have a conversation of whether or not you need to be on the police force at all. I say all the time, I am one of the scariest people that I know. I'm super reactive, easily startled. I don't own a gun because of that. And secondly, I would never be a police officer because I, I know personally I'm very reactive. So it's very easy for me to feel like I'm in danger, right? So I, I think it's really important as we are talking about these systems changes, we got to talk about how we are actually vetting these folks before we get out there, we give them a state-funded gun and a badge that basically protects them from consequences. Um, and then the second thing that I feel like I'd be remiss in not saying is that you know, before we had slavery, where we're working for the for massa on the plantation, now we send black men and black women, we send them to prison. And because it's prison labor that they do for pennies on the dollar, we excuse it because they've done something bad. And so something bad can range from self-defense to, you know, having a certain amount of marijuana on you. And to me, you know, that, that is also an important part of the conversation that we have to keep on our forefront. It's not just the black people dying on the streets. It are, right. It's the black people also dying in jails, but the people that have to, to stay there and are expected to reintegrate into society without any issues, without any trouble, to be law-abiding citizens. And, you know, mass incarceration is slavery. Um, I think from this conversation, what I've taken is the fact that we have to keep having these tough conversations. We have to keep disagreeing. And we also have to keep meeting each other with that radical kindness and love, right? To be able to hear each other and to be able to, to hopefully at some point get past this. And I'll be honest, I'm not the most optimistic. Um, I see that these police officers are being held accountable by their peers now. I see that people are calling out racist folks on Facebook. I see that people are saying that systems need to change. But it also seems to me that this seems like kind of the cool thing to do because these same people, specifically white people that are now loudly proclaiming that black lives matter. And yes, they do. And we do need these allies. It's becoming whitewash and it's becoming cool. And it's not going to be cool in three weeks when little Trey is, you know, going in to, to be screened for classes and they're automatically racist in assuming what his abilities will or will not be. You know, this is not just police brutality. Um, and it also just does not include mm -hmm. cis men. It includes women of color. It includes immigrants. It includes trans people. And we have to we have to keep mentioning that because it's so easy to express privilege even when discussing oppression. That's why I love you. Oh, thanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're so radical. But you're radical, like you said, with love. And that's all we want. We just want to make sure that we we, uh, we just pay attention to all of it all of it and, absolutely uh, yeah so hopefully we, we can do that so any closing comments from you my man um something that I, I guess i took out of this conversation was just the importance of educating yourself for education just in general because like i mentioned like certain like the slave patrol thing of course we knew about it but i didn't know how it was linked to modern day policing I know there's like multiple things that i've seen on twitter and just reading different articles that people have been publishing recently about how to educate yourself about things that they don't teach you in grade school um, and I think that's very important because we, we learn like a certain curriculum that I don't, I don't, it's okay, I don't want to say this, but, you know, to, to us about the man and that's just given to us because it's, it's their education and, and there's, there's bits and pieces that are missing. And I feel like when you get to a certain age, you should take upon yourself to, 
educate yourself about the things that you are not taught in grade school because obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that are missing. I think it's important. And I think that's the one way that we can get ahead and just benefit ourselves during these times is to educate ourselves about different policies and the different things so that we can be aware. Um, I think that's all. I think that's my awareness is my, my last word. <laughs> awareness. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it. I think, uh, I think both of you were, were did a really, really good job on that. And, and um, yeah, it is about just us doing it. And hopefully, you know, we we will continue to stay focused on that and have these clear steps is to try to help folks as they navigate because it's a lot, you know. And then um, mm-hmm. to to get to where we need to be, and yeah, we don't need to keep continuing to come back to that. But it yeah, it feels different. It really does feel different mm-hmm. um, this this time. And unfortunately, it had to take this time to see a man's soul as somebody you know saying you know just leave and, and i i watched it and i do not ever plan to watch it again i do because i usually play videos of incidents of stuff but this one will i will never play it don't want to ever see it again um so the main thing is i think you know you and five O and, and this podcast as we move on and the three of us have these discussions and bringing folks in and different views uh you know we, we're just gonna do what we can do to be part of this movement and help everybody you know do be safe, um, figure out how to do what they need to do to make the communities and policing communities work for their individual community. So, you know, we've had a really good discussion on how policing has occurred uh, and rooted in slavery. And, and we're going to be moving forward in the next, next discussion. And, and you'll be able to hear this, this, this first discussion of our inaugural is on June 15th. We're going to be talking about where policing and slavery, how that brought us to from 1619 to eight minutes and 46 seconds. And our next podcast will be uh, our inaugural one on June 15. And then after that, the next, we'll look for the next one on June 22nd. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for being here on our inaugural UN50. And so we'll see you at the next one. The next one is going to be, we're going to be talking about again, civil, is this Gen X, Gen Z's uh, civil rights movement? Uh, You guys be well, be safe, and comply, then complain, and peace. You and five of them.